you can't build a company without knowing yourself mm. and what you care about. Otherwise, you build a company that you don't like and you hate, mm. and then you end up being pissed off at your company and you resent it. So, so this is helping you get clear on the life you want to live and how you want to live it. Then and you design then the business. You design the business as to help support and prop you up to be able to live this life you want to live. Yeah. Versus building this business that uh, is going to run your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so a lot of times at William Painter, we say no to opportunities because it's like, well, does it help our, does it, is it going to be worth the time and effort um, or does it make our life better? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. That's how we're making decisions now. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Gates, and this is True Leader Shift. Our mission is to expand awareness of what's possible in life and business. I created this show to introduce you to business leaders and life hackers so that you can learn about the pivotal moments in their lives that shifted their perspective on what it means to be successful. My next guest is Matt DeSell. He's co-founder and CEO of William Painter. William Painter creates products that support your active lifestyle and keep up with you during your adventures. Their sunglasses are virtually indestructible, and their original pair were designed to open beer bottles. They believe that everybody deserves to have the best products with solid customer service that treats you like family. I love Matt's reasons behind running the company. He's determined to continue to live a life of adventure, and he's incredibly growth-minded. So his company is an excuse for him to continue to have crazy experiences while creating great content. He works every day to boost their e-commerce platform, enhance their technology, and up-level their customer service. Matt is a true visionary. His team describes him as having the business acumen of Zuckerberg, the ethics of Nelson Mandela, and the work ethic and the appetite of a horse. He's definitely someone you want to continue to follow. I'm really excited to introduce you to him. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt DeSell. Matt. Hey. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. You and I met a while ago, and we reconnected a couple of days ago, and uh, it further reminded me of what an interesting and fascinating guy you are, and how your mind works is like no one else I've ever met. Let's start with your business, William Painter. Yeah. You guys founded that, or launched it in 2012. Right. And your success has been off the charts. So oh, thanks. Congrats. Doesn't feel like that. Yeah, there's been some challenges along the way, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just a journey. Yeah. yeah. Well, so talk about the journey, about William Painter and you in that process. Um, we started the company kind of as a joke. Uh, it was um, basically talked to the friend, and we wanted to start a company that <laughs> made uh, basically bottle openers for sunglasses because my friend was at a ski club. And the ski, there's like 3,000 people in the club, and they're out in the sun, and they drink a lot. Right. Um, so we were like, well, that would be crazy to make a product like that. And then we never did anything with it. And then When was that? Because uh, it was really late at night when we were talking about it. Okay. And then the next few days, he applied to Kickstarter, which is early in Kickstarter days. It was like 2011. Okay. And he... We got accepted, and I was like, well, it's a stupid idea, but I want to do a Kickstarter because Kickstarter is new and cool, right. and that's how we started. Wow. Yeah. And then, okay, so how did that first Kickstarter go? It was really challenging because Kickstarter changed the rules halfway through um, our application process, so we were mm. approved, then they changed it so that you actually needed a physical prototype, uh, and then we were unapproved, <laughs> mm. and then we appealed, and then we were approved again, so... Mm. Um, it's kind of a scary process because we'd already invested some money, just my own money into it. Mm. Um, and that was like all the money I had. So <laughs> I think it was like $5,000 or something. Okay. Yeah. And nice. It's a lot to invest into a joke. Um, right. And then we had a few friends kind of join our adventure, um, Patrick Eckstein, and he had a lot of experience making things cool. And he's also like very social. So he had a lot of friends kind of help support the campaign. Mm. And campaign ended up doing like twenty five thousand or something, and okay. that was enough to kind of buy inventory <laughs> and pay yourself back. Uh, well, I don't even know if it was enough to pay myself back. I think it was enough to like buy the inventory. Okay, all right. Maybe pay back myself back a little bit, and uh, 
Then we found a sourcing guy on Elance at the time, which is now, I think, mm. Upwork. And he was only on Elance for one day. And we contacted him, got him, started the process. It's really challenging uh, to make that product from an engineering perspective, because it has to be super strong to be able to open a beer. And it has to be high quality. And so we ended up looking at like magnesium, aluminum, steel. Uh, steel's too heavy, aluminum's not strong enough. Mm. We ended up with titanium, because it's really strong and light. Mm. And because we're using titanium, it made the glasses really expensive to make. Mm. So we're like, we might as well use the best lenses too. Okay. And then we ended up making a great product somehow. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And it is a great product. And you guys are selling a bunch of them because because they're because of the reputation of the glasses. Yeah. Now we are. Yeah. But it was and, a very long, hard journey. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, your glasses. You said they were expensive, but I just I just checked them out today. And mo most of them are less than 200 bucks. Yeah, yeah. So you must have brought those costs down along the way. Uh, not really, actually. We're still probably the most expensive pairs to make in the entire industry. To make, okay. Yeah, probably twice what another premium brand would be. Okay. But um, we have a different business model. So we sell direct to the customer, so we don't have to go through Sunglass Hut or Nordstrom's or something like that. Hmm. So we're basically cut. If you do that, then you have to, basically, they take half. Um, so if you're selling for 200, they take 100. You have 100 left. Um, so we sell direct to the customer, so we get the full, you know, 200, and then we invest it in the product. Oh, that's great. So we can make we can actually make our products a lot better than anyone else because we go direct to consumer. Yeah. And in sense. this day and age, it's really a lot easier to form a relationship with a customer than it was in the past. Hmm. Do you have any plans at all of ever going through distributors? No. Okay. Always direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And the name William Painter, an inventor? Yeah, yeah. He was he invented the bottle cap and the bottle opener. Okay. So he, um, this is in the 1800s, and he basically changed the industry from corks to the bottle cap. And why why William Painter? Um, because our first pairs opened beers, and he was the guy that invented the bottle opener. Yeah, how did you know that? How did you know Oh, uh, we didn't. We, I mean... <laughs> Well, naming things is really hard. It's probably the hardest part of the whole company is naming okay. it. Um, we actually na originally named the company Liquid Shades, hmm. uh, and then this is so. This is right after Kickstarter, launched the launched the campaign, made enough, ordered the product. So Liquid Shades had this cool raindrop little logo on it. Hmm. Um, got them delivered on December first, and then got a cease and desist on December twenty third. So the guy was like, "We're suing you." Um, mm. and you need to change the name and destroy all the inventory. Wow. I was like, man, 23 days. We lasted 23 days. <laughs> and then, uh, then, um, I was like, Hey, don't sue us. Let me have a beer with you. We'll talk this out. You know? And then we, we met up, we had a beer. Uh, I was like, we're just a bunch of kids. We don't even <laughs> right. know anything, you know, cause he had a company called liquid I pro. Okay. So it was causing confusion in the industry. Hmm. So that's fair. I mean, that's what trademark is. And those were sunglasses as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was right. We hired a lawyer in the beginning, and he's like, yeah, it's a gray area. We hired like a really cheap lawyer because we didn't have any money, and he was wrong. So <laughs> anyway, so then he's like, you have to shut down your website, and you have to destroy the inventory. Mm. We're like, okay. I mean, mm. in exchange for not suing us and letting us live. So we took down the site, and then we had to rename the company, and that's when we tried to figure out a name and we ended up at William Painter. It took four or five months to name it again. Wow. We really wanted to do it right and get all these stupid names for the company. And one of uh, Patrick's friends was like, how about William Painter? He's the guy that invented the bottle opener. I'm like, yeah, that works. Yeah. And, and our lawyers say that he's dead enough. So he's dead enough. Yeah. There won't be any issues with ancestors and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so he has, William Painter was a very famous inventor and he really did revolutionize bottle cab so he's a company called crown holdings it's worth like seven billion dollars mm, wow. wow so the company's still around that's great yeah that's, that's um cool. but so then we were in this really crazy situation where we had just spent all of our money on inventory and it all had the wrong logo on it and so we tried to figure out we didn't have enough money to buy more and you couldn't you couldn't just erase that logo put a new one well on. it was dangerous because wanted to ship them back to our factory, but shipping stuff into China is actually harder than shipping it out. Mm. So if it got seized, we'd be bankrupt. Mm. So what we decided to do was, um, instead of shipping it via FedEx, I would just be FedEx. 
So we put all the suitcases in bags, and I flew to China, and I handed it to them, and then I flew back. <laughs> and then we eventually changed it. We didn't even ha know what the name was going to be at the time that we got the product over there. So mm. we're like, hold this. We're going to come up with a name. We're going to get a logo figured out, and then we'll change it back. No kidding. And that's when we became Lime Painter. Wow. So talk about producing product in China. How was that journey? How has that been for you? Uh, it was stressful in the beginning because we didn't trust them and they didn't trust us. Mm. I think there's a huge misconception over how business is done over there. Um, mm. So one, like they don't really care about a contract. They don't really care about money. Mm. Um, they really? care about family. And so mm. if you are family, they take care of you and they make sure they do like quality stuff. Mm. Um I think with traditional retail businesses, you're always getting pressure from the retailers on your margin, uh, mostly because retail's dying. So mm. as those big retailers start dying, they put pressure on you, the product, uh, to make it cheaper. So then you go to China and you go, make it cheaper, and then they go, okay, no problem. Mm. They always want to do what you say. Yeah. It's just like they don't tell you what the cost of that is on the product quality. So when we went over there, we're like, make it, Make it, make it as expensive as you need to make it, to be fair. We mm. just want the best product. That's all we care about. Mm. Like, we want you to do well, and we're, we're going to do well if it's a good product. Mm. And then so that they never cut corners with us, and we never had an issue with quality. That's great. So um, you just had to set real clear expectations. Yeah. yeah. And the then right just questions. be family with them. So we, okay. I literally fly over there at least once or twice a year just to have dinner with them. Mm. It's not a really talking product per se. Mm. Just have a relationship. What was the most stressful moment in well, the Well, definitely journey? the, like, threatened lawsuit thing, destroying the inventory part was huge because it was like we were dead. We had no resources, so mm. it was really scary. There's been probably, like, 20 times that we've literally written in our journals, there's no way we're coming out of this. No wow. way. So, so um, how, does that, how does that feel when you're going through that? Um, it's definitely stressful, but it's also part of the journey. We, that's like one of the things we always say is like, enjoy the journey, enjoy the journey. And you try and appreciate those moments because it's just part of part of the ride. And I think if it's something that you really care about and it feels authentic and it's aligned with your values, then it's worth doing. So when in the, all of that, all that said, when it's, you think it's, there's a good chance this is gonna fail, yeah, I mean, there was... I mean... I, <laughs> it's a sunglass company selling online. Like, no one had done that. So then, I mean, you're going to... Is that? Are you enjoying the journey when you're writing in your journal, hey, we might be done tomorrow? That kind of thing? Yeah, it never felt like work. Hmm. Which, ever. The whole time. And it, it was not like it's easy. It was grinding it out. I mean, all the time, just working nonstop. I, hmm. I didn't, we never paid ourselves because we couldn't. So... Um, we didn't pay ourselves for the first five years. Wow. So I was driving for Uber. I bought a Prius to drive for Uber because mm. I wanted to be efficient at least. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Patrick was working double shifts in the bar. Um, so he would work like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, Sunday, all all day, like at mm. the bar, all, all day, all night. And then I would drive for Uber all night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like 16-hour days every just driving. Hmm. And then the rest of the time, we'd work on William Painter. Wow. And yeah. take some naps. And it was and just there. enough to, like, <laughs> eat. Have enough food to eat. And, um, so just, what kept you What kept you going? What? Why were you it was continuing? Fun. It was fun. And I enjoyed working with him. And I felt like our product really was the best. Hmm. So I knew that if enough people just knew about this thing, it would work. Hmm. I sometimes felt like we were going crazy because our product is, in my opinion, so much better than anything else. Mm. But it like, you know, back then it just wasn't selling. And I, I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> if you hand it to someone, they're like, this is clearly better. Yeah. And it's the same price. Yeah. And we do a lifetime guarantee. Like, why would you not do that? Mm. Um, so actually, like, while I was driving for Uber, I would show people the glasses. And I was like, end up selling a bunch of glasses through the car. Nice. I don't know. I remember when we sold, like, two pairs in one day. And I was like this is amazing, mm. like we're crushing, <laughs> we're going to be so rich. Like that's $9,000 a month, you know, <laughs> revenue. Right. So then in getting to know you, I know that when you get, when you don't know something, you dive in like 
a thousand percent and you become an expert in that area and you just understand how that works. So at the beginning, what I heard you say is you understood the product side, got the best product. Why the hell is it not selling? So which is more the e- the marketing, the e-commerce side. Yeah. So then what did you do to start to understand that and get that ramped up? Because clearly today you guys are killing it. You're killing it in a lot of different ways. You're killing it in your growth trajectory, but also just the content that you're putting out and the views that you're getting. Um, and your latest, not latest, but a, a video you guys put out uh, three months ago has 41 million views. Yeah. It, I, it, the title is, um, if you or somebody you love has a face. Right. <laughs> Such a whole, that's a hilarious video. Thanks. I love that. Thanks. So, I mean, you give, you've come a long way. So talk about that journey and what have you learned along the way? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think we actually had it right like in the beginning, our actual original Kickstarter video was pretty similar to the video that we just put out. Really? But it like wasn't executed well and we were just, we didn't understand the messaging, um, hmm. right? We knew that like things need to be funny and engaging, um, which, yeah, it just, it, we just like barely missed it <laughs> actually hmm. back then. Um, and you can go watch that video. Which might it may we, have been we, a good we, thing because if you had that many views... That would have been no, we would have with. lost everything for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and also, if you get major funding, we for sure would have gone bankrupt. Mm. It's like you just don't know what you're doing. You get lazy. Mm. So I we chose to struggle to like figure it out mm. um, as cheap as possible. Mm. So in 2013, we went through this program called SDSI, San Diego Sports Innovators. Um, it's where you present in front of a bunch of mentors mm. your business at like for investment, um, and basically you just get destroyed over and over and over again. I would say it was very helpful in that it forced us to really think about the business model itself and all mm-hmm. these things. And we drew this triangle. And we're like, at the top of the triangle is Red Bull. At the bottom left side of the triangle is Tesla. And the bottom right side of the triangle is Zappos. And basically, it was we want to be really good at uh, content production and syndication. We want to be have really innovative products like Tesla. Mm-hmm. And we want to have amazing customer experience like Zappos. Mm-hmm. And all through a direct-to-consumer channel. Then all our mentors were like, you can't do that. And you need to go into retail and you need to do trade shows. And like, that's how we did it. That's how you should do it. Hmm. And so we did. And it probably cost us like two years. But I mean, you got to trust those guys. They're like titans of industry. I mean, huge Hmm. guys. So we did. And now we're doing exactly what is in the triangle, which is kind of funny. So we are getting really good at producing content, syndicating that content. Um making great products and delivering great customer experience. That's the entire focus of the company hmm. is those three things. So then, and, and that's, this is what I find fascinating about you because even when we sit down together, as soon as I started talking a little bit about my business, you're automatically going into how can I help Brian? How can I you mm-hmm. know, really boost his business? How can I solve this problem? And within seconds, I mean, you almost like, you started to say a couple of words and by the time those words were out, you already had it figured out. And then you started talking about <laughs> what, you know, what direction I should take it and, and how you can help me with that. So I'm not surprised that your original thing that you've already figured out at the beginning is that was it. Yeah. So talk, I mean, I don't know really what question to ask, but I want to know how the heck you are able to see forward like that and yeah. visualize and put these pieces together. Like how would you describe that process for you? That's a great question. Um, I will say that while that concept was correct, we didn't know how to do it. And the mentors were like, how do you do that? Mm. And we're like, we don't know. Okay. (laughs) You knew it was the answer. Our idea was um, to produce content, like make a viral video, and then to have it be so good that media would just share it, right? Mm. Like Red Bull, basically, they do some ridiculous event, and then it just gets shared because it's so crazy. Mm. Um, That was our idea, and they're like, that's not scalable, and they were right. Hmm. Um, But what we figured out over several years is that you don't just let things go viral. You don't don't let other people syndicate it. You just pay for the views. Hmm. And then you design a math formula, essentially. How can you afford to pay for the view through a conversion of a product on the back end? Hmm. And once you do that, then you just spend as much as you possibly can. Okay. All right, as long as, and you keep tweaking as the, as the inputs to the formula are changing. Right. 
Okay. And like the inputs are like, how can I create something that has a cheap enough cost to acquire to be able to send traffic? How can I develop web assets um, and other systems to convert better? So like your website needs to be good and convert. You need to have email flows, like all these different parts of email flows. You have, have email capture, retargeting, et cetera. Hmm. Um, and then you need to have an average order value over a certain amount. Um, then you need to have a great product. Like if the product sucks, then you're still dead. Yeah. Um, and then you need to have a great customer experience, which leads to a long lifetime value. That's the formula. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's the e-commerce formula. That is right it. There, yeah. Right? There's, not, there's nothing else. I mean, that's cookie cutter can be applied to any product business. Well, I mean, it's hard. It's like you have to have good product. You have to have good customer experience. You have to have good content mm. and you gotta have good web assets. That's it. Let's shift. Talk about you. Let's, uh, what? You're, you were born and raised just outside of Napa, right? Yeah, a little town called Yachtville. Yachtville. And uh, what were you like as a kid? I think it was pretty clear early on. I would just look at... I just knew that I wanted to be in control of my destiny and that I wanted to be independent and be able to create wealth because, like, life is short and you need to be able to be in control of your own adventures and mm. be able to go experience life. It mm. would just really suck to do something that you hate your entire life and then retire and try and live. What was it that you were seeing or noticing that had you at such an early age going that path? I don't know. I just, maybe, maybe it was my mom really stressed out at work or something. Hmm. Um, my mom really, she was a dietitian and she really uh, loves like dietitian stuff. So hmm. I think that she was in her field, but she was so stressed out all the time. It was just, Kind of, yeah, it was hard. Mm. I don't know if that was the reason, but I, I somehow I remember being very clear that like I'm not going to do that, and um, I worked really, really hard as a kid. Mm. Like I um, had a full time job pretty much in I think like fifth grade, something like that. So I had to get all these permits to prove it wasn't child labor, mm. um, and then I had a worked full time in high school. Um, at a restaurant, so. Hmm. And then... And I was, like, saving and, like, reading all the financial books and trying to... I would meet with bankers at a really young age and be like, can I move this money into a money market and then move it over here? And they're like, yeah, in principle, yes, but, like, you don't really have enough money to make it uh, make a difference. Yeah. But my dad, um, sometimes he would teach me a lesson through me losing all of my money. <laughs> really? Yeah, which was hard. Um I like appreciate that, but it was difficult. Like he would. What's an example of that? Oh, like m my uncle uh, did this investment with this guy in commodities, but the guy was like kind of a nut job. Like he was, he like literally thought he could speak to God and like then pick the commodities. Oh wow! <laughs> and if he could, that would be. I know, I know, right? <laughs> it's a great. He's like, I I can talk to God and do this, and I was like twelve, so I didn't know. <laughs> that thinking, that's amazing thing. yeah i was that's like great. this is awesome and he's like you should probably be able to make 5x and i'm like well i'm a 12 year old and i had made a lot of money like through through working you know just brutal hours and so i probably had like five thousand or something and wow. i was like if i 5x that as twenty five thousand as a 12 year old like that's pretty good yeah and i think my dad kind of knew this guy was crazy and he's like you can do it or you cannot it's your choice mm. so i did and then i lost it all so <laughs> so he so yeah he let you yeah. yeah, and I'm talking about it now, so I learned the lesson. Yeah. It was really painful, though. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's tough love, right? Le allowing your child to fail yeah. like that because you know the lessons that will be had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still burns today. So <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. It's a good, it's a lesson you will never forget. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. And then um, and then you ended up leaving and, and going to school, coming down to San Diego, yeah. San Diego State. Mm -hmm. And. Um, yeah, talk about your experience there. It sounds like you did every all the things. Yeah, I went to a really <laughs> small high school, and I wanted to go to a really large college. So San Diego State, I think it was like 35,000 people. And there was, when you have that many people, there's so many different interests. Um, and I think college is really about the people and just trying to find something you're really interested in. Mm. So I did all of the clubs, pretty much. All of them? <laughs> yeah. What did you do? What were they? Oh, it was like I was in a marketing association, a finance association, the entrepreneur club, uh, business fraternity, played soccer, and 
did a bunch of other random sports, mm. like dodgeball and <laughs> I don't know, all these, just like it's, college is about experiencing and meeting people, mm. in my opinion. It's not really about the school. Yeah. If I could do it over, I would have probably not gone to, not gone to college, but been at college. Hmm. Just yeah, like I would have, I would have dropped in on some classes, the yeah. ones I wanted to go to, and then I would just still be in all the clubs. Huh. Yeah. Because you don't, because the degree, you just, not a lot of value I mean, behind that. No. And you can teach yourself whatever you want to learn. Yeah, my, like, entrepreneur teacher had never started a business. You know, it's like, I don't understand, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Huh. Plus, like, with Udemy and YouTube and all these things, like, you can learn a lot. That's how we learn. I mean, just yeah. take a course. What's an example of a, a subject that... You recently dug into? Electric cars. Electric cars. Okay. Yeah. So how did you go about that? What was your process? As you're going, I can just picture you behind your laptop and like all the different windows that are open. Like yeah. how, do you, how do you yeah, yeah. get in um, there to, to understand it? The fastest way to learn is to find the right source. That cuts 90%. 90%. Hmm. So it's like find someone who really knows what they're talking about. And then that's the hard part is figuring out that person. Okay. Um, so how do you figure out that person? Uh, it's like the way they think about things is very principled in that they're trying to find the most base truth of a subject. Mm. Um, typically those, it ends up at physics or something like there's like main bodies of knowledge, right. That are pretty core to like how the world works. Yeah. Like math. Foundational. Physics. And understanding of how things work. Yeah. Like okay. humanities. Right. And then philosophy and like these kind of like core things and then you build subjects back up so is that how you approach things you take it all the way down to the basic principles? i try to it's difficult it's very hard to do and it takes mm. a lot of time mm. so that's why i think a lot of people don't do it um but i really was just interested in electric cars so much so i actually uh, worked for tesla just because i was so obsessed with them and i was talking about them all the time that i was like i might as well get paid to talk about it um or it wasn't getting paid from William Painter, so you might as well make something. What was your job with them? Uh, I was just in sales, just in the store. I would just talk about the cars. Oh, awesome. But I was really into it, so it was fun. That's great. Yeah. Um, but, like, one um, first principle subject uh, website that I really like is called Wait But Why. Um, basically, the guy will read every book on a particular subject, and then he builds a core truth and then builds an article back up using stick figures and humor, like stick figure drawings. And it's just hilarious, it's easy to digest, and it's like based in truth. Mm. So to learn about electric cars, you have to understand physics. And like everything in the world is about energy. I know that sounds very Encinitas, but uh, <laughs> I use that as an adjective. But it is, I mean, the only reason we're talking or moving or alive right now is because of energy right. from the sun. Um, otherwise, the earth would be a giant frozen ball. Um, so like, how do you understand electric cars? Like you understand that um, basically, the sun spits off joules of energy, like photons of light that have joules of energy in them. Mm -hmm. The plants then capture that energy and they convert it into like plant matter. Mm. An animal comes up and like eats that plant. The energy then like is transferred into the cow or whatever. And so like a long time ago, algae, um, like hundreds of millions of years ago, algae was there and it was absorbing all this light and then it went underground and then co like condensed into oil. So oil is like super condensed sunlight, hmm. essentially. Um, but there are some unpriced externalities that happen when you burn oil. Anyway, you can build an electric car up from a physics, like photon and joule level. Hmm. And you figure out that it's really efficient and that clearly that's a better alternative. Because, well, <laughs> so I mean, your example of the sunlight going to essentially the algae, then going into the ground, turning into fuel, then we use the fuel to generate yeah, it's like, energy. why did we have gasoline cars? Because it was really condensed. It was a great form of energy. Yeah. yeah. But now, like, you see technology cost curves, and you see battery technology and energy density. Like, from a physics perspective, the energy density is becoming pretty good, and the ener energy um, efficiency of an electric engine is much more, much higher. So mm. then you just look at that, and you're like, it's going to move that way, mm. clearly. <laughs> so then what do you see? What Looking forward timeline for electric cars to have taken over to have taken over yeah well to be the majority 10 years 10 years okay yeah. okay 
Okay. But it's happening now. Like in Norway, it's already at 45%. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm also learning something really fascinating of like, once you understand these core bodies of knowledge, they sort of overlap and mm. you can see new things. Mm. Um, so for example, I'm really also interested in like artificial intelligence and um, like the rate of computational power over price. And so when you look at those things then, and electric cars, you realize that like full autonomy, like autonomous driving is gonna happen relatively soon. So therefore, if you're looking at an investment, it's like it needs to be an electric car and also have the capability to be fully autonomous. Mm. You can see things that other people can't see because you have gone to like a really deep understanding. Okay. So um, you break it down to the basic principles and there yeah. are only so many basic principles that exist, right? So right. the more, as you continue to learn and understand all these different basic principles that are really the foundation of everything, it's easier for you to now dr drill into, oh, I, I want to know more about this. I kind of already understand some of the basic principles, so I get to apply that. And in some cases, you can just pull that right out of your, right out of your head immediately and just kind of process it and understand it. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when you were talking about the podcast and the show and we were talking, you're like, I want to, you know, get this out to the world and I'm going to like keep making episodes until I get my subscriber count to a certain level. I'm going, that's cool. But like, if you look at what Facebook and Instagram and all these social networks do is eventually you have so much happening in a feed that you can't show it organically. Right. Mm. So then you have to use an AI to sort what's interesting to people. Hmm. Um, and if you do that, that means that if you're not doing whatever the AI thinks is right, then you don't get seen. Hmm. So in order to be seen, you need to pay for it to be seen. Hmm. So then how do you design a business that can do that? And, and the, I mean, what you just said, you know, how do you, I mean, you had to figure those things out that you have to be, you have to pay for views. You have to do that in order to get into the alg algorithm and so that the yeah. AI is going to pick up on you and actually promote you and all that. There's a lot. You, what you just said is that's not just common sense. Those well, remember when you, you had Instagram out. in the early days and it was all in order from when people were posting and you would just scroll down. Eventually you would get to where you had already seen the last time that yeah. you opened the app. Yeah. It's like it's not like that anymore. Right. Right. So. So and you mentioned AI um, and you just started using AI. AI is now kind of running your marketing campaign, your online presence, yeah. is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with both Facebook and Google. Facebook. Um, okay. And it's it's crazy because each year you see it get better. Um, like it was really not good back in the day. And so we, we had to be very technical and we were like, we were being the AI essentially of mm. being very sophisticated with marketing. And more and more it's like just set it with like no parameters and just let it figure it out. Mm. So it's changing really fast. Mm. So how are you using AI today? Um, well, we just make some content that we think is cool for our products. And then we um, just have it show it to people that it thinks are likely to buy. Okay. All right. And then, <laughs> that's it. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's really, that's the basis behind it. Yeah. Right? So it's like, yeah. we want to target um, all males between the age of 18 and 60 hmm. in the United States or something. I'm just using it as an example. Hmm. And then you say, go. You set an objective of like, do I want views? Do I want clicks? Do I want purchases? Hmm. Do I want add to carts? Whatever you want. Hmm. And then let the AI figure it out. And now you have Google helping you with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Google's like search, display, shopping, YouTube. They own YouTube. Yeah. So uh, their AI helps on those channels too. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, it's exciting. So talk, yeah, so, um, and we had talked earlier about Neuralink, Neuralink, that yeah. uh, the video that came out, which I haven't seen yet. You said it come out, came out a couple of days ago. Yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah, so what are, your th what are your thoughts on that? What do you predict with that related to technology and AI essentially now being connected to the human brain? I mean, what are the, what are the possibilities with that? Yeah, uh, well, it's still really early. This is the beginning phase of a brain-machine interface, which basically right now is mostly a research project. Um, the talk on Tuesday was to gather uh, more academia to just help them. Hmm. You know, um, 
it's shocking how little we understand about how the brain works. We mm. basically know we're like this general area does this general thing, mm. and uh, when you try and get to the neuron level, it's it's you just we don't really know how it works. <laughs> so um, mostly, I think the next ten years is probably going to be us figuring out how it works, mm. how the brain works, and then um, again that cost uh, computing performance chart. It's basically like the rate of computational power over the price and miniaturization. That's like a one of those first principle things. Mm. So you can actually make investments based on that. Um, Talk about and that. Just means like, you know, in the early 50s, a transistor was like huge and really expensive. And now we have billions of them on like something this big mm -hmm. um, for cheaper. <laughs> So this is a, if you look at it, it's a pretty steady, just like up into the right line. It's like steady though, mm. predictable, that's what I mean. Now we're getting into the brain machine interface. You know that like the computational power of that and cost of that is gonna get cheaper. And so that. that'll allow some really cool applications like, you know, um, dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, people that are paralyzed, blind, you can solve those problems. And then, uh likely, which will follow on that, is more peak performance and enhancing even the healthy human brain. Yeah, and exactly. That's, so that's and when that's, it gets cool. That's, yeah, that's when it gets fun, right? That's yeah. when it gets exciting. But there's also ethical things there of, like, how do you broadly distribute that around the world? Because if you have someone who's, like, super rich and he buys a computer brain, or he, he augments his brain power yeah. to be 100 times smarter than anyone else, then, like, that's a bad situation. Right. So yeah. how do you distribute it to everyone at a reasonable price? That's, I mean, that's one of the scary things with, with AI in general, regardless of whether it's uh, connected with the human brain or not. And actually, maybe even more scary when it's not. Uh, I don't know. It depends on the person, right? And yeah, the, and the yeah exactly. exactly. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, it's a situation where humans will become sort of obsolete um, or just irrelevant. Humans stand alone. Humans not connected to some yeah correct. Type of so this is like a, a, in my opinion, a, a great a, a good option. It, it seems. I mean, it's we kind of weird to think about it like this, but it seems like it's. I don't know if the word natural is right, but it's part of the natural. It's part of the evolution of the human being, right? Yeah, because we've been using technology to help uh, help us evolve for many years. You know, even going back to fire, the very kind of the first invention that we it's can a point to. Yeah. It's a technology that mm -hmm. helps us cook our meat so that we don't have to chew for five hours a day, which yeah. and, and increases the size of our brain. Exactly. exactly. So that and, and so it, I mean, technology literally changed humans. Like our brains got bigger because we didn't have to devote as much resources to breaking down food in our gut. Yeah. So, technology like we are inexorably on a path with technology. Yeah. So, and, and there's going to be a lot of resistance, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, yeah. Probably yeah. in the comments right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get trolled, I'm sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of fear around it, right? Because it's changed, it's new, it's an unknown. Um, so there's going to be ethical questions related to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I don't. I have no idea what the timeline would be because of all, mostly all of those things. Well, right? the financial advantages are too great to not have it happen. Um, you could regulate it here, probably should, hmm. um, but like it goes somewhere else, right? Just go somewhere else. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's, and that's what I'm also worried about with AI, if it gets in the wrong hands yeah. and what could happen with that. Yeah. Especially with social media and all these things, we're like incredibly delicate. Um, and you guys have seen, I'm sure like the deep fake technology and um, like basically you can record a video of anyone doing anything and have it look identical to the real person. Hmm. And then you just syndicate it through social media and it's like, wow, there's a video of, let's say, President Trump saying something and acting like a drunk idiot. Um, wow. It's kind of hard to tell between the real thing, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. It starts outrage, gets shared everywhere really fast. Um, yeah. And you can do way more nefarious things than that. That's Obviously, that's yeah. We're a so, joke. I mean, but society is so fragile, right? It wouldn't take much to tear yeah. anyone, any I mean, the power went out now. in San Diego for 17 hours, and there was, like, looting and riots and 17 hours. Yeah. Connecting technology with the human brain, you can you combine the empathy, compassion, and the intuition, 
really of a human that AI standalone doesn't yeah. have the ability R- right. yeah. to, to tap into. And you can combine those two. It's, it's the ultimate, but it's also, for me, less, less scary. You know, okay, you, but it's like, what is, I think the question is like, what is consciousness? Because all you are right now is like electrical impulses firing in your head. Mm. And like, that's all a computer is too. It just thinks differently. Mm-hmm. So maybe consciousness is like a certain threshold of computational power. And again, that curve is going in that direction. So maybe you hit a certain level of computational power and suddenly it has consciousness. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. And that's what... But then it could have empathy, potentially. It could be its own entity. Oh, that's fascinating. It would just think differently. And for that to happen, it it would need to be understood what consciousness is, right? Yeah, which is a hard problem. But Neuralink and that speech on Tuesday is like the first step. It's likely not a human being who's going to be able to fully figure that out. It's going to be AI that can really deconstruct yeah. and help us understand what the heck consciousness is. Yeah. That's mind-boggling, right? Yeah. If all of a sudden the computer spits out the answer as to what consciousness is, I mean, all, I mean, a lot of religious beliefs, a lot of, you know, this what we call spirituality, where every, it's unique for every single person. Everybody has their own beliefs, essentially around what is consciousness. You know, is there... Is it the God? Is it God? Is it universe? You know, what is that? Or simulation. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden a computer says, what's this? And it's proven out. That's, I mean, that's mind boggling to think that. Yeah. They would be, I don't know, that could be catastrophic in itself. Um, Yeah. So I think the 2030s will be like the decade of the brain. And Hmm. that's where we'll like, you know how we like sequence the human genome? Hmm. Uh, I think we'll sequence the human brain. In the 2030s. And they have full understanding of how it works. Yeah. And then things get crazy after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it just... But we're just starting the process of how to even record what is happening at a detailed level. That's, That's where we're at. That's crazy. But I mean, I'm not a brain scientist. I don't... I could also not know what I'm talking about. So. Right. Well, it's fun to, fun to think about either way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's... Let's shift gears a little bit. I know, what are some things that you do as a business leader to continue to kind of enhance your um, your effectiveness in your life? Um, so things like, um, what do you do for leadership training? Do you, what do you, as far as community, do you have a community that helps support you with things? Is that important to you? Yeah, um, let's see. Let's go with that. Um, first, like a core principle, what really turned the tide for our business, I talked a lot about struggling for a bunch of years, like not paying ourselves for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through kind of forced necessity, it was like, okay, we're going bankrupt again. Got to figure this thing out. Um, clearly, like whatever we're doing is not working. Mm. And so we're an e-commerce business. We should probably learn e-commerce for real. <laughs> and then it's finding the right source. So... We just, it it got to the point where it was like, we have no money. We just have to learn all day. Mm. That's all we're going to do. So we just, we get to the office at eight and then learn all day until like 10 PM or something. Um, We do that every day until it worked. (laughs) So we literally bought every course on e-commerce and watched them all. Okay. Um, and we ended up finding one uh, by Ezra Firestone. He runs a company called Smart Marketer. Mm. And it was kind of like, here are the fundamentals of e-commerce. These are the pillars that matter. Mm. The other ones were kind of more surface level or tactical. What those things change. But this was like, this is what you need. These are the tools. This is the foundation of what makes this machine work. Mm. And then we installed those. And it took a few months to build that stuff out. And once we did, it worked. Like, all of a sudden, we started capturing the traffic, and it, it worked. Mm. So a core principle in our company is education first, always. So anyone in our company wants to do a course, we pay for it and oh, they learn. And as a result, I think our people are always on the cutting edge of whatever is out there and they understand understand it really well. Hmm. Um, I think we empower a lot of autonomy. So we don't really have hours or anything. I and mean, People just come to the office when they want to. And But you hire people that can do that, right? Hmm. You're building your team with a bunch of people that are just hungry for knowledge. They're yeah. just always looking to And learn. values. They're like, they're good people. They're okay. principled. 
And you you do a couple different things where you the house that you oh, live yeah, in yeah. Mm-hmm. is talk about that because that's kind of a community. Yeah, I live in this community. house called the Entrepreneur House, um, and it's it's basically a bunch of entrepreneurs that live in a house, but we invest in resources to make us more productive. So we have a chef, maid, pers- uh, not personal assistant. We have um, like laundry. Mm maintenance the whole thing is automated hmm. so you know uh, it, it's actually pretty affordable to do that so i would recommend it i bet and then how do you what are you, what are the interactions with what are the benefits of being in a house with other yeah well, um you try and like we try and establish it so that everyone in the house is like a peer level so we're able to really like provide input on the business so hmm. we do a mastermind every monday where we'll just talk through the biggest business issue or personal issue and then you have basically board directors helping you um, also the house is very, uh, has a lot of accountability. So our goals are on the board okay. and people are like, where, where are you at with this? And it's right there. And when you live with someone, they, uh, they start to really like understand how you are as a person and what your drawbacks are mm-hmm. so they can see, um, you know, weaknesses or a different lens of reflection than maybe you would have yourself. Okay. And then they deliver that feedback to you. Yeah. In a very honest, accountable way. Okay. <laughs> And and obviously, you know, everyone has blind spots. No one's perfect. So yeah, I mean, it's every uh, learning about what you don't know about yourself that others do. Exactly, it's right. one of the most important things. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. And then and then also, I know that you you have a, you're in a Junto group, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Junto Global. That's a a group I co-founded like ten years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah, ten years ago. And what is that? Uh, well, it started as a I was at the time I had a sales job. Um, where I was driving up and down the coast of California every day. Hmm. It sucked. I was in my car a lot. That's where I read all those books. Uh, <laughs> or audiobooks. Yeah, perfect. Um, but I didn't have a time to meet with my friends at all. Hmm. Just driving nonstop. So I was like, it would be cool if there was a way to have a coffee meeting or a lunch meeting with someone. But if I could just combine them all, all my friends together in one group, hmm. and then have that meeting, then I could catch up with everyone. Again, breaking friendship down to a first principles basis, it's <laughs> it's it's values. So like integrity, um, like if someone doesn't have integrity, you really don't want to be friends. Um, right. So it's values. Um, it's frequency. So like how often you see them or mm-hmm. contact them um, and consistency of that frequency. Um, and then uh, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That's, that. That's it. Yeah. So if you do that in an environment on a frequent enough basis, you will be friends with them. Okay. And then, <laughs> That's fascinating. Way yeah, and then, I mean, with a with a significant other relationship, it's like that plus a few other things. Plus right? romance and yeah, attraction yeah. and that kind right. of thing. Okay. <laughs> I know, it's just weird to break things down like that, but uh, yeah. I know it sounds weird, but it makes things really simple. So then, okay, so then you took those basic principles and you said, I'm going to create, I'm going to create that. Yeah, uh, with Parker Harris, he was at Qualcomm at the time. Um, basically we were like, we're going to do this meeting and we're going to do it once a week. It was every Friday at 6 PM. We put it at 6 PM on purpose because we wanted people that actually cared about this meeting to go hmm. and everyone else that wanted to like hang out or do something else at the time just wouldn't go. So we had to like really, if they wanted to be at a happy hour then. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The group. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we just met once a week for 10 years. <laughs> and you're, and you're still, still the group's going? Yeah, it's a little different frequency. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, some people have left or had families or moved away. Sure. But, um, yeah, I would say, like, my deepest friendships are from that. Okay. And when, from a business standpoint, what do you get out of that? Well, you talk about whatever's going on and get different perspective mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... But it's mostly, like, about... I do it for the friendship. Like, the conversation we're having about AI or whatever, like, yeah. that's what this would... That's what a meeting would be. Oh, cool. And then people get interested. They give their own inputs. They're off learning something. I used to describe it as a human RSS feed, which Mm. I know, like, doesn't really make sense anymore. But um, (laughs) it's, like, using – my friends are, like, really smart, and everyone's really smart, and they're all learning their own thing. And so this was a way of them sharing the top 1% of what they're learning. That's great. It's just a spot where you get to share knowledge, not any on any certain topics, but you will. It's different every time. Every okay. time so you just get together and talk about whatever you guys yeah. want to talk it, about, yeah, whatever's have, interesting. If you have someone of similar values that cares about learning, that was another one, um, then like they're going to have something to talk about. Mm. So you don't need to have any prep. That's just, great. It's like, cool, we got good people in a room. Like, let's see where it goes. Yeah, I love that. And then it was a little bit of moderation, but 
So that's awesome. been very impactful. Excellent. So yeah, what have been? What are some of the takeaways? What are the biggest, biggest ways that that having huh. a group like that has helped you? Yeah. Oh man, I, it's funny. Another topic I'm really interested in is like Bitcoin. Mm. Um, I remember Bitcoin being talked in Junto, like in 2012, 2013. Mm. You know, like hey guys, Bitcoin's at ten dollars. Like, what do you guys think? I'm like stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, guys, Bitcoin's at three hundred dollars. Like, what do you think? Stupid. And now I'm like, oh. <laughs> so did I didn't go the, to a first principles level with it? At the did time. anybody in the group invest at that time? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. But we talked about it because you guys lot. all talked each other out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is like magic internet money for. Oh, Matt drugs. thinks it's stupid, so I'm not going to. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> man, I was wrong about that. So well, that's a good lesson learned, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it's a perfect example of taking something at surface value, right? Of like. Initially thinking about it, you're like, it's not backed by anything or um, like it's being used for crime or like it's really early. Mm. That was like, I took a one second pass and was like, no, uh, I didn't go deep. And if I did, I would think I would get it. I think I get it now. You get it. Yeah. yeah. And now, <laughs> now you're fully invested and you get that. And you said you mentioned it as part of your portfolio. Yeah. I expense. recommend it being between like one and 5% of everyone's portfolio. Mm. Yeah. Right on. The first principles of that is it's hard. It takes took me like a probably solid year of just reading and learning mm. because you have to understand macroeconomics, game theory, cryptography, a, a lot of it's like a very multidisciplined thing. But that's again you see that overlap now. Mm. Um, so I think the best source of learning for macroeconomics is Ray Dalio. Mm. So I read a lot of his books, and that then you can sort of overlap things. So. Ray Dalio is very like Keynesian economics. Bitcoin in principle is very Austrian economics, which they don't teach in school. But you can still understand where the macro economy is going. And then you overlay that with um, the other first principles and you can kind of see a pretty clear picture. Right on, yeah. It's all about breaking it down to the basic principles to understand it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. But it's so, it's hard to do that. It took a long time of reading and studying to do that. Mm. And that's why like when you watch the news or the, Financial shows like they they're covering all of the things they can't do that they have to take a snap judgment. Mm. Yeah. Same with even financial analysts they're covering thirteen companies you just can't do it at that level. So it's really very surface, yeah. not a lot of meaning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or they're looking at the financials they look backwards, right? Because that's all, that's only all you have shows, and then maybe <laughs> a company gives guidance of the next quarter or the next year, but it's like. Yeah. What if it's a it's one data thing point? That? That's just one little data point. Yeah, and they're going. Yeah. This is a good company. This is a bad company. It's like, well, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, I would say that Warren Buffett has a better grasp of the basic principles of his investments, and that contributes right. to his success. Yeah, and he tends to stick in his lane, like the things that he knows. Like he doesn't understand tech, and he knows it. And he he stays bought Apple out of stock it. because he took his phone away from like his daughter or his granddaughter and she like freaked out and was like having withdrawals. And he's like, man, if <laughs> there's something in if there, there's something there. Like, <laughs> if, yeah. If that's the next generation, then yeah. I'm investing in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. All right, cool. So to wrap it up, um, what, what advice would you have for somebody who's coming, coming up, say a younger professional who's also entrepreneurial and they're, they want to, build their business. They want to, you know, be successful in, I would say in life, but maybe if you want to take it to the e-commerce uh, route, you can do that too. But uh, yeah, e-commerce is hard. Um, I would say one, like know yourself. So take, um, I have this like values exercise. Maybe we can put in the show notes. Hmm. Uh, it's just, it's just a list of values. Okay. Um, there's things called uh, terminal values and instrumental values. They're different types. And uh, it's just a list. And then the exercise is to order them, put them in order for you. Okay. It's really hard to do, actually, because they're all good. Hmm. So it's like, do you care about freedom? Do you care about national security? Do you care about family? Do you hmm. care about, you know, like wealth? Do you care about your health? Like all of them are good. Hmm. So which one's the most important one? And try and get like a top six Okay. Um, of each type. I imagine it'd be tough because you mentioned family. It's like, okay, yeah. I have to put, am I putting something above family, right? Yeah. It, it's, it, those are hard decisions Super to make. Super hard. Right, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, in ranking them in order, you really have to think about it. What do I care about? How do I feel about this? Well, and then, so you basically, you take your top six, 
write like a paragraph of why that thing is important to you mm -hmm. and also how could you best live that value? Like, what mm -hmm. does it look like to mm -hmm. have freedom? Whatever. Um, that was mine. That was one of mine. Um, I think one was like freedom, wisdom, a creative, or a, an enjoyable life, I think it was one. Yeah. And you see that reflected in our company. So mm. you can't build a company without knowing yourself mm. and what you care about. Otherwise, you build a company that you don't like and you hate. Mm. And then you end up being pissed off at your company and you resent it. Um, so, so this is helping you get clear on the life you want to live and how you want to live it. Then and you design then the business. You design the business as to help support and prop you up to be able to live this life you want to live yeah. versus building this business that uh, is going to run your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so a lot of times at William Painter, we say no to opportunities mm -hmm. because it's like, well, does it help our, does it, is it going to be worth the time and effort um, or does it make our life better? Yeah. Example. Right. Right. Okay. That's how we're making decisions now. All right. um, and so, yeah, that focus on values then um, figure out your ideal life, like your ideal day. Then work backwards, like what are the steps to get there? Mm. Um, so in college, I, I had a leadership class and we had to do this. We had the values exercise and then oh, we wrote great. our dream day. Uh, so this is a paper I wrote. Um, and I was like, I'm in Buenos Aires. I wake up, I play the guitar. I have like this like beautiful girl and I go like learn things and I teach local businesses, like I solve their problem or try and help, you know, and then I have dinner with friends and wine and like, that was my day. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, what do you need to do that? Well, it's like, you can't be in an office. You can't, okay. um, you need to have some cash flow to do that. And so blah, 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 you work backwards. And, mm. um, so I wrote a 13 step plan to get to that day. And I'm on like step 11. Wow. They let all the steps happened. Oh, that's great. Yeah. True intention. Yeah, I was like, find a mentor, like, um, like learn about real estate. Like I bought a house and blah, blah, blah. Like this was just part of the plan. That's great. Um, so that would be, that would be one. And then once you. Wait, so what are the last two steps? Where, what is, yeah. What are the next two steps for you then? Um, the last one is automate the business. And then the mm. thir 13th step is have your dream day. Just that's it. Yeah. There. <laughs> like I, it's like a couple more. Yeah. So automate the business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I really enjoy all of the people that we're with. And so it's going to be more of, like, how do we do the things that we really enjoy and not do the things that we don't? Mm. And just get, like, more specific about that. Yeah. Um, and then, so, yeah, values, dream day. Um, just pick something that, like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, sunglasses, not a great business. Horrible business. Then you just, if it's aligned with your values and your eventual goal, then mm. you can suffer because mm. you're going to suffer mm. and just be okay with that. Have you suffered? Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. Okay. It was really hard, but I still enjoyed it. I was going to say, like suffering, I, I would do it but again, you, but, but you man, enjoy the suffering. Like you kind of, in some way you said that even when you started your business, you suffered on purpose. You kind of, you did it the yeah. hard way. Well, that made it worth it, right? Like I think suffering is really important. Yeah. Which sounds weird. That's going get taken out of context, but right. Uh, well, it's, it's it makes contrast. you stronger. It gives you perspective. Perspective. Um, yeah. You know, I think it was Seneca. He was like super wealthy, and um, you know, I think he like read all the books pretty much at the time mm -hmm. back in the day, and so he would just intentionally suffer, occasionally. Hmm. Like, cool. I'm gonna live a day where I don't have anything. I'm just homeless, and I'm gonna go out in the streets and be homeless. And it gives you that perspective. It grounds you again. Yeah. It has you really appreciating the beauty of, beauty of life yeah. and all that it brings. And awesome. I think the slow suffering path of growth um, is just more sustainable mm. than like, hey, I'm going to start a company, raise a couple million. Like, I'm on a rocket ship. The rocket ship exploded. And then the last thing is just focusing on learning. Find the right source mm. and learn. Mm. Uh, like, there was a girl who... I recently met who wanted to learn about Amazon, like get into selling stuff on Amazon. Mm. You know, you want to do Amazon. There's a lot of companies that manage brands, Amazon accounts, like uh, agencies essentially that do Amazon. I was like, go work for them. Mm. Then, you, then you're literally managing 50 products. Yeah. You learn the ins and outs. You learn how to upload. It just becomes second nature. You put in your reps, and then you go launch your Amazon thing. Yeah. So it's like, how do you get paid to learn about the thing that's on that path from the right source? Yeah. And that'll hugely accelerate the process. That's great. So that would be the final step. Awesome.
I know you have to run, so I'm gonna let you go. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks. This is great. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, man.